Coming up on Money Beat, it's your look at the week ahead. We have retail sales coming, Fed Minutes, it is earnings season. And also on Monday, the Nobel Prize in Economics will be handed out. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. This is your look at the week ahead. Uh, Paul and Stephen here in the studio, joined in the studio by our dear friend Steve Russolillo, who writes the Ahead of the Tape column, and also from D.C., Josh Zumbrum, one of our economic reporters, a leading light down in D.C. Josh, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are happy to have you on. So let's talk about a couple things on the calendar this week. Let's start off with the retail sales report that comes out later. Yeah, this is probably the biggest piece of economic data that we're going to get for the U.S. next week. Uh, basically, what we saw when the number came out last month, which was the report for the month of August, um, that uh, the retail sales were kind of down, and it was kind of a surprise. People didn't really have a uh, people weren't really expecting that uh, to be as as kind of a mediocre report as it was. It was the first time the report had been down for uh, since March or something like that. And so people are really hoping that it's going to bounce back when we get the numbers for September. There's a lot of indications that it that it should. Uh, you know, a lot of readings on the economy seem to be holding up okay. Uh, but people are going to be really eager to see that because it's you know still the case that retail sales consumption is the biggest part of the U.S. economy. And the, in the U.S. consumer, along with like the you know the labor market, it's sort of been the bright spot of the economy this year, right? Yeah, I mean, when you think about business investment is, you know, one of the other big categories and it hasn't been very great. It's been it's been uh disappointing for uh the past 3 quarters and you know, government spending hasn't been contributing much and the dollar's been pretty strong and so exporters haven't done uh super well. And so, you know, it kind of leaves you with the consumer a lot of weight on the on the health of the consumer, the health of the labor market. And the consumer has has done pretty well, Josh. And and I, I think the expectation for this report is about 0.6 percent growth uh, in retail sales, which is a lot, especially considered considering what we've seen in recent months. Yeah, it's a lot, and I think part of the reason that's as high as it is is because they're just expecting a little bit of payback from uh, last mm-hmm. month's report, and you know, hopefully we'll get that. I mean, there's always the worry that you kind of set up expectations too high, and then you get a reading of you know 0.4, and everybody's disappointed about it, and you know, maybe <laughs> really we ought to think of that as a decent reading. There's certainly a risk of that, uh, especially right. if you're looking at it from a kind of a market's perspective. Let's talk about another item on the calendar. Oh, this this whole podcast about items on the calendar. Uh, let's talk about another one: the Fed minutes at the September Fed meeting. We got what uh, many people described as a "quote unquote" hawkish hold. They didn't take any action, but they kind of made it obvious that they really, really, really want to. Uh, what what can we expect out of these minutes that are the, the minutes of that September meeting? Well, so I think the big question is. You know, how how strong of a signal are we going to see in these minutes about definitely getting an interest rate increase this year? I mean, the next Fed meeting is going to be just uh, less than a week before the presidential election. So there's been this strong feeling out there in the market that there's just no way the Fed is going to be comfortable uh, raising interest rates a week before an election. You know, the Fed always says we don't talk about the political calendar. We're not influenced by that. Um, but but people still don't really think that they that they're very likely to raise interest rates in November. So that leaves one more meeting this year, December, as kind of the spot where he was looking to see, you know, is the Fed definitely going to raise interest rates in that December meeting? Are we going to get a signal about that in these minutes? 
And the other interesting part of the September meeting was that there was really a divided Fed. And how much clarity are we going to get from the minutes, you know, sort of on, on, on that, on that, you know, the two sides, the hawks and the doves? Well, the minutes always have kind of a characterization of the views of the people in the committee. You know, it'll say some members, you know, felt like this was a serious consideration. Many members right. felt like, you know, they need to be paying more attention to commercial real estate. You know, I mean, things like that. And so we could see some commentary like that that might suggest the Fed is even more divided than it appears. But on the other hand, you could you could certainly see the minutes kind of say, look, three people publicly dissented. And the minutes could make it clear that although those three people have their concerns, they, they're not joined by a lot of other people. Um, so we, that, that, that's something we could definitely learn from the minutes is kind of are there more than three people on that uh, coalition that, that really want to uh, get rates up? Or is it is it just those three and the majority of the of the FOMC is really on the same page? That would that's, be real. That, that would be really interesting because the three dissenters, I believe that was the most amount of dissenters in, in quite a while. Right. Uh, I think they. I think it happened in 2014, 2014. and in 2011 okay. as well. So you know, it's not a totally unprecedented thing to have uh, three dissenters, but it does seem like all things equal, the Fed would prefer to have its meetings not, you know, end up with three people dissenting. Usually, when you've had three dissenters, there's kind of been some effort to uh, kind of forge a new consensus and and bring people back on board. And so I sp- suspect we'll we'll see that playing out over. The coming months. I mean, you know, the easiest way to do that is these people wanted to see the dissenters at this meeting wanted to see an interest rate increase. So if you raise interest rates later this year, seems like a lot of the Fed is still on board with doing that. That would also kind of address the, hmm. the issue that yeah. these dissenters had raised. So it might not be a huge hurdle to get people back on the same page. Right. And Josh, what are <coughs> let's, let's take a look at the overseas calendar. What are some things that people should be looking out for? Uh, you know, across the waters, so to speak. We're going to get some uh, data on European industrial production this week. That's going to be kind of one of the only big reports that comes out of Europe. And the reason that's going to be pretty important is because, you know, we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what the ramifications of of the Brexit were about, you know, the UK decision to to leave the European Union. They haven't actually... um, uh, initiated the pro, you know, they they made the vote, but they haven't actually filed the paperwork with the EU to to do it. So it's still kind of early days. But we're there, you know, a lot of people in Europe had been very concerned that this was going to be a huge problem for European manufacturers, that they were going to, you know, be reconsidering their contracts with the UK. They weren't going to be exporting as much to the UK. Um, but so far, it seems like things are, are holding up better than, than some people had feared. And, you know, this report could provide us more evidence, whether that's the case or, or you know, maybe whether things right. are starting to take a turn and, you know, maybe some of this fallout from the Brexit is, is just a little bit delayed but not avoided. Yeah. And then uh, just quickly, China, Japan, they have some uh, couple of things on the calendar, right? Yeah, so in China we're going to see some uh we're we're going to see data on their inflation which will be pretty interesting because obviously a lot of this uh deflation and and low inflation globally has been driven by China, you know, there's just not the Chinese demand uh for a lot of products that there used to be. Mm-hmm. We're also going to get some of Jap- Japan's trade figures, which are going to be pretty interesting. You know, Japan has had, it's been running a big current account surplus for the past two years. They've had a lot of success kind of getting their um, uh, products out to market. And so, you know, we'll probably see that uh, continuing as well. Hmm. All right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll 
deliver to you this important message, listener, dear listener, and we'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast, your look at the week ahead. And just a reminder, folks, for more great WSJ podcasts, you can find us at wsj.com slash podcasts. A lot to offer you out there. We have Your Money Matters, the free-for-all speakeasy heard on the street. A lot of stuff out there. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and we are on your Google Play Music app as well. Talking about what's coming up this week on the economic calendar. We talked about retail sales, the Fed minutes, what's happening overseas. Let's talk about earnings because Alcoa reports earnings Tuesday the traditional start of earnings season, third quarter earnings season. Uh, Stephen Russolillo, another, you know, five, the last five quarters in a row, profits have, have contra- profit growth has contracted. Not profits, they're still earning money, but the growth has contracted five quarters it's in a row. It's pretty incredible, right? Right. It's just fascinating. Currently projected for a sixth straight quarter what are, what are we looking at but, here? Well, I'm just going to say that's not going to happen, but I'll get into that. <laughs> well, I know what your take is on it, Stephen Gross. Well, well, it's interesting that you say little, that, though, yeah. because so facts that so there's a lot of different research firms that come out with right. different estimates. So let's just use one for right now. Facts that is saying that there's going to be a 2.1 percent uh, slowing of profit growth from a year earlier. And so but what FactSet has found is that historically you get this estimate right at the beginning of earnings season. And then on average, you get about a three percentage point increase from what the original estimate is. So if this plays out again this quarter, negative 2.1% growth will then translate into one per- positive 1% growth. Uh, so that's, I think, Grosser, if I'm reading your mind correctly, yeah. uh, that that's where you're going to. Either way, though, whether it contracts again or not, it's still not it's great by low, any stretch right, of the right, of right. the imagination. You're not seeing any real growth for these companies. What what oh, is? Oh no, I mean, like, let's back up. <laughs> I'm not. I don't want to be on the growth train, but like after five quarters of pretty steep, you know, contraction in the growth, you know, the fact that we're starting to work through this, it shows that we're. It, 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 it's sort of evidence that we might be hitting a bottom. So it, it, it's true. And actually, if you look ahead to the fourth quarter, uh, well, let me take a step back for a second. This is expected to be the last quarter where energy, where the oil, the decline in oil prices is going to have such a huge drag on these numbers. So starting in the fourth quarter and then continuing into, into 2017, analysts expect that actually these year ago comparisons are going to be pretty good. And so these companies, are, especially energy companies, yeah. are going to have a much lower bar to hurdle. Especially first quarter where we were struggling with that $30 uh, you know, barrel oil prices. You know, if we can stay in that fifty, that's a lot. That's pretty right, good for the right. oil companies. Exactly. So, so all of a sudden, energy, which has been a major headwind, potentially can become a, a, a prominent tailwind for overall earnings. And, and I mean, but but to your original point about the difference between a, a small profit growth contraction and small profit growth, and, and we have Josh Zumbrum on Zumbrum here too. Still, Josh, you're still with us, right? 
Yeah, I'm still. Yeah, yeah I didn't want to leave you out. I mean, whether or not these companies hit bottom, what they can produce in the fourth quarter and in 2017, that's going to depend on what the economy does. I mean, I think nobody expected a year and a half ago, no one expected these companies to have five quarters of profit growth contraction. Everyone said, oh, things look better. They're going to. And then they were down one quarter. Well, they'll be up the next quarter. They're down two quarters. Oh, they'll be up the next quarter. Three quarters. Oh, like this has gone on for a lot longer than anyone expected. And just because it ends with a one percent positive number that alone is not an indication of, of where these things are going it depends on what the economy does and these are you know these are the companies producing goods so obviously they're a big part of the economy and how they perform i'm just saying that it is a positive sign you know that like what you're seeing is we've worked through this earnings recession we seem to actually be hitting a bottom and let's not just poo-poo it as oh that means nothing because it's only one percent it is something how much it is, I don't know. Well, but yeah. and and the other thing too that is something. that is very you know sort of interesting in this quarter is I, I'd like to get Steve's sort of take on this is that of you know the the biggest you know uh, the only sector I think that is set to report positive uh, earnings growth is actually the tech sector. Yeah. So what's actually really interesting about this is that we've seen a lot of companies. Uh, not a lot of companies have actually been giving earnings guidance. And so uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch did this study, and they found that in the month of September alone, there have been fewer earnings guidance announcements than ever before in any given month since, <laughs> since 2000, since when Reg FD was passed. So that that alone is interesting. And, and one of their conclusions from that is that companies are hesitant to announce anything ahead of the election. So that's one, one thing there. But on the flip side, though, back to Steve Grosser's point, is that tech companies have actually been somewhat optimistic and have been giving some really positive uh, uh, pre-announcements here. And, so, and tech earnings are expected to really contribute positively to the overall uh, earnings outlook here for, for, for the third quarter. And, and tech is now the biggest, you know, by market cap, you know, awaiting in the, in the S&P, Apple, right? Alphabet, Facebook, the Amazon. Five, I mean, yeah. they're more and more the economy. Right. Uh, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about something that will happen on Monday. Now, Monday is Columbus Day. Uh, it is a holiday, and, and Steve Russillo and I, as, as proud Italian-Americans, will be We'll we'll be home celebrating. No, I'll be here in the office. I'll be here too. We don't have off on Monday, do we? No. (laughs) All right. Anyhow, Monday is Columbus Day. Uh, Banks are closed. Markets are open. But also, importantly, and let's bring back Josh Zumbrum to talk about this, on Monday, the Nobel Prize in economics will be handed out. Josh, uh, who's on the short list? What are we looking at here? What are we going to find out? Well, you know, the interesting thing about the Nobel Prize in economics is that there's kind of this suspicion that the committee that awards it likes to make a little bit of a political statement with it when they can. And so, uh, you know, so in the past they appointed they, – they gave the award to uh, Paul Krugman, who's – you know, he's certainly – he, he's done tremendous interesting economic work in international trade. But when they gave him the award, it was at this time when he was like really pressing the case um, against the, the the Bush administration's economic policies, and they gave the award to uh, the economist Peter Diamond 
uh, right at the time that he was being considered as a Fed governor, but some of the Republicans in Congress were blocking his nomination. And there's there's a handful of other examples like this where the committee has kind of used the nomination to kind of make a political statement. So some of the economists on the shortlist, I mean, unless you really follow economics, you're not going to know these names. But I can tell you why it would be interesting if if some of these guys were awarded. You know, two of well, them. We, that, we have an extremely literate listenership here, so I'm sure they're all going to know the names. And, I mean, basically, and we're geniuses too. So, basically, if you listen to this, you're as smart as any of these PhD economists. Uh, right, so, right. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's so, it exactly. So, two of them that that are kind of people are talking about are Anthony Atkinson and uh, Thomas Piketty, who are big inequality researchers. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that could be the committee's way of kind of sending a a message about uh, how important they think it is to take seriously inequality. A really interesting one that I, I saw somebody throw out there is there's this economist named Jagdish Bhagwati who has he he's he's I think he's 82 years old or something like that and he's he's very prominent um, people have kind of been speculating for years that he's somebody who ought to be on this Nobel Prize list and he's done kind of tremendous work making the case that uh, the, about the benefits of free trade and hmm. so the idea here is that you know if the Nobel Committee went with with somebody with him or with somebody like this background, it could send this signal that they you know it could be the Nobel Prize Committee you know trying to say like we're having this big populist international right. moment, but we really still think there's something to the economics behind you know free trade providing broad benefits for society. Um, you know another really interesting possibility that I saw that I've seen out there is is the Yale University economist William Nordhaus, who has done a lot of the uh, research, who, who's done a lot of research on kind of like the economics of climate change, and so that would be you know another way for the Nobel Prize Committee to inject uh, climate change into into the discussion in a big way and kind of make the make the signal that they want people to be thinking more about that topic. And then you know they they could always go a completely different route and you know approach somebody that that very few of that. Very very few people have ever heard of who who's done most of their work in you know complex statistical mathematics or something like that. So there's no guarantees, but those are some interesting topics that the that the committee could highlight with their pick. Yeah, I'll be honest, I, I knew one of those names. <laughs> I knew Pickety. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 people that are up for this prize, they're not uh, they're they're very rarely household names. But, you know, whenever, when it, whoever wins the Nobel Prize, you're going to see kind of stories all over the place about uh, that topic of their research. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you can see the logic of why the Nobel Committee might be a little bit inclined to try to make a statement, get a conversation going. All right, Josh, good stuff. Thank you very much. Steve Rusilillo, thank you for coming in. Stephen Grosser, as always. And uh, I'm Paul Vigna, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll catch up with you during the week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.